I actually think sometimes you gain more in life what you learn from a loss than a win. In a win, sometimes you're so busy patting yourself on the back, and then next thing you know, the person who lost last time is more ready than you are to go at it. Welcome to Unsung Leaders, a weekly showcase of behind-the-scenes innovators who you may not be familiar with. These are team players who create workable solutions for society, people who do great things without needing to steal the spotlight. So come on, society, let's set down our selfie sticks and achieve great things. Together. So tell me what you're recording, Josh. I've been recording. Oh, good morning, Steve Mosco. M-O-S-K-O, people. Not Moscow, Mosco. I am so fired up to you. You know why? Why is that? Because we are getting to lo- getting ready to launch our first podcast. That is correct. Season one. We've been busy at work since late summer, uh, and here we are in the winter. Uh, although in Los Angeles, it's hard to tell. Um, but actually, you're calling in for this specific spot because you're super busy all of a sudden. When we started this, we were at work at a very not leisurely pace because you certainly were busy. Uh, with your big business, and I was in the process. And what of, business is that? I think we're supposed to introduce ourselves kind of casually to our viewership, or not a viewership. I'm in television mode. Our our listeners. I'm. I want to roll, Bill. So we're going to keep going. Anyway. Okay. Bill, we'll introduce who you are in a second. But I, I guess it doesn't matter what I do. It does though. But here's the thing. <laughs> so me being someone that uh, left Sony a little over two years ago. Um, Looking for my next, and, and where were you at? So you were the chairman of Sony Pictures Television for yes, for a long time, and I was at Sony for twenty five years. Loved every minute of it. Uh, was ready for a career change. Uh, took some time to really take a look at the world and figure out what was next. And lo and behold, since we started taping these podcasts to today, uh, which is middle December, lovely seventy two degrees and sunny in Los Angeles. And I'm now the CEO of Village Roadshow. So rather than sitting in the lovely studios at Embassy Road talking to you in person um, and talking to Shannon and Josh, life has changed. But I will tell you, we were on to something. We talked about this unsung leadership because our, I think our theory was in the world, there are a lot of people running their companies or just showing amazing leadership skills Um throughout the country and the world and what have you. And uh, I saw how leadership worked. It was a big company, thousands of employees. And now I'm running a company which is, you know, in the entertainment business, smaller. What really matters are the right words. And um, But what I'm realizing now when you're in a smaller company, not only do your, are your words relevant, your actions are even more important because you're right there with the team and... Uh, you know, you can say what you need to say, but you need to also lead by example. And uh, uh, we were actually on to something when we went down this road. With Unsung Leaders, our idea was people that have an idea of how to contribute to the greater good. And sometimes they don't even know what the ultimate solution will look like, but they just begin. They don't do it for money. They don't do it for notoriety. Uh, they do it to contribute. And we wanted to showcase those people that you might not recognize their names However, they make a difference, and the difference is felt, and there's an impact uh, to society because of their contribution. So that was our whole idea of the series. Uh, and sometimes they do 
uh, create these things that are very much in the public eye. And sometimes they're even in the public eye, but they contribute in other ways that we might not know about. Well, Bill, let's flash back. Not This isn't the movie Back to the Future. It's just look back at the past. We need a sound effect. And think about when we started. It was summer in Los Angeles. We're in beautiful downtown LA at the studios of Embassy Row talking about doing this amazing podcast. Done in late summer. Uh, and please enjoy and please continue to follow us because together we're going to do great things. I'm Bill Benson. I'm a licensed psychotherapist uh, in Los Angeles. Well, it's the early 1990s, and I have this vague recollection of this uh, kind of <laughs> movie star-looking guy whooshing past me as I, I was at my desk, and I was cataloging old film titles for Columbia Night at the Movies at Sony Pictures Television. Um, and I think it was about after the fourth whoosh in as many days that uh, Steve extended his big old meaty hand and introduced himself, which I thought was actually rather nice as uh, I was this kid cataloging stuff, and he was obviously this executive. So, Steve, as I grew to know you, I also was impressed by how accessible you were. Uh, again, really surprising, as I had had a series of temp jobs that were um, all about, you know, managers and executives looking right through you unless they wanted a cup of coffee. So uh, there I was, and actually, you know, I think a lot of people were a little confused by you, quite honestly, because you looked like you had just stopped, stepped off of a... a a movie set, but you were also funny and kind and personable. So do you have any recollection of that? Probably not. I'm recovering from all those very nice compliments you just gave oh, me. Oh, so. that's, yeah. And I'm shocked that you called, that you refer to yourself as a kid, because I always thought you were older than me. Oh, So <laughs> I'm not sure. So People, you, uh, wow. don't, you can't see him. But I'm he taken is, back by that. Handsome is forever, and uh, Steve Moscow has that affliction. So, well, um, well, here's here's what's interesting about all that, is that I came from Philadelphia, um, I grew up in Baltimore, lived in Philadelphia for eight years, and I unfortunately or fortunately accomplished everything I ever thought I'd accomplish in my life by working and running a TV station. So at the age of around 37-ish, um, I remember talking to my wife and said, I'm getting a little bored, and there's some folks in Los Angeles who are interested in hiring me, and I think it'd be a lot of fun for, for all of us to take a little journey out to the West Coast. And luckily, she said yes. I agree. As we were scraping the ice off the windshields in Philadelphia, so uh, we went on this journey. I remember I came out in November. Uh, family stayed back in uh, uh, Philadelphia until April, but I remember at that time our offices were in Burbank on Riverside Drive. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I can't. I never in my life imagined as a kid growing up, kind of a middle-class type family, I'm being kind, that I'd ever be working in what we would call Hollywood. That's a myth, but we were... We, we, You're so, being kind because you had humble beginnings? Is that yeah, it? Yeah, but I never... I mean, my God, I mean, I when I walked into a TV station when I was interviewing in college for jobs, I mean, my heart raced walking into a television station. So here I was working in Los Angeles. My office was right above the Batman set on the Warner Brothers lot. I mean, I had thought, and my office faced west so I could see the sunset over the mountains. It's like, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. So 
I think what you may have picked up in that guy who was bouncing around, engaging with people. Um, I mean, I have a natural curiosity just to get to know everybody. I think that's important, and we'll, we always we'll get to that at some point. But I was so happy to be working in Los Angeles, working for a studio. Like I said, looking out the window and seeing the mountains and the Batman set, and knowing the ocean was close by. That how can you not be happy? I mean, I. This was like a dream that I never even had, and I was living it. So I think what you probably felt uh, was the fact that I was happy. And I, I, and, and you did that, actually. I right. mean, you actually jumped and you took a risk. And I think a lot of our listeners are kind of these entrepreneurial kind of people that are like, can I do that? You know, can I push into that? And I think that's really important for emotional health, quite honestly. Well, it's funny because you talk about leadership, and leadership comes from so many different places. And I, you know, again, you, you see it everywhere. And I think one of the things we'll dig into is the fact that, uh, you know, we get so caught up in what's bad about the world and what's, you know, bad people, bad this. I think for us, I think what we want to do is highlight all the good in the world and people who are extraordinary in what they do. And they're able to move groups of people along in a way where it motivates them towards a common goal. And along that that direction, uh, you're able to get the most, you, you get people to do more than they think they can do. You know, that's one of the tricks of leadership. So many people think getting ahead, I, I see a lot of um, uh, entertainment industry people in my psychotherapy practice. Um, and it's because they're all crazy, you know. Right. My <laughs> company's name is The Mental Gym because I really think that you work on your emotional muscle much like you work on your physical muscle. So I think it's the healthy people that come into therapy um, to work out and make sure that they're, that. right? They're, they're, they're much more uh, willing to do that because they want to get better. They're constantly looking to improve themselves. Right. Sustain, uh, improve. And right. we all have these, just like we all have uh, muscles in our body that can be uh, worked on and, and improved. And we have emotional muscle that can right. be worked on and improved. So those are my clients. I tend to see those kind of people. Um, so many people think that they have to be busy in order to get somewhere. So they're always multitasking. And there's been studies, actually, um, your productivity goes down 23% when you multitask because it's basically you're like a, a, a light switch and your brain flutters. It doesn't, you can't do two things at, at once. So people think in order to be successful, you've got to do a lot of things. You've got to multitask. And actually what I teach my executives uh, in session is to put down their phone, to actually connect with people. And the one thing I really remember about you, uh, working with you all those years ago, uh, initially was you listened to me. I mean, I think uh, we all have examples of people in our lives that, you know, they look at you and you know they aren't listening to you. They're just waiting for you to finish their sentence so they can excuse themselves. Right. And um, but you were always interested in what I had to say. And that's I, because you were interesting, Bill. Well, thank you. And by the way, my mom always said uh, there's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth because mm. you should listen twice as hard. And speak right. all the time. I wanted to get back to uh, when I came out here being a little overwhelmed. Uh, and like, were you, like, how leadership plays a role when you kind of go through life. And um, so here I am. I, I ran and owned part of a TV station in Philadelphia, which was a big deal in Philly. Come out to Los Angeles. And my God, it's just, <clears throat> Los Angeles is overwhelming. I mean, the sky's bigger. The mountains are larger. The ocean, it's all right. People are moving. It's a lot. And uh, 
I'll never forget, I think the first couple weeks I was out here, uh, I sat into a meeting with uh, Jerry Seinfeld's people. We were talking about Seinfeld and syndication. And what raced through my mind was, like, like, how did I get here? Like, what? Like, this is unbelievable. But I, what I went back to in terms of thinking about that wasn't a book I read or wasn't like, education in college or life experience. I went back to a moment when I played football in high school. And one of the greatest leaders, mentors I've had as a, as a person was my football coach in high school, Jerry Gray. And he was an old Notre Damer, didn't say a whole lot, but when he said something, you listened. So it was our senior, I was in my senior year of high school, and I scored my first touchdown. And I did like my little end zone dance and threw, oh, threw boy. the ball down. I'm picturing it. It was just so stupid. <laughs> they got a penalty. And that really isn't who I am, but whatever. You were excited. I was excited. He, so I'm running off thinking like I'm hot stuff. He had this big, huge, like Fred Flintstone head. And he used to have like white in the corner of his mouth and like the square jaw. And he grabs me by the jersey and says, listen to me. The next time you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before. And it was just such a – I never forgot that. Wow. So – I honestly, so I'm sitting in this meeting. It was at Castle Rock with all these Seinfeld people. And they asked me what I thought about something. And rather than be that kind of like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing here? I thought about him. I thought about act like you've been here before. You know, and it, so it wasn't about jumping up and down and screaming. It was about having confidence, knowing what you're talking about, and delivering it in a way where the people are going to listen to you. So, like I said, leadership comes in funny places when maybe when you least expect it, but I never forgot that. And uh, actually, I never forgot him because uh, the one thing I think about when I think of leadership, I think of all walks of life. But particularly what sports has meant to me in terms of leadership in my life. And, you know, because when you play sports, you know, there's a scoreboard. So, like life, there's winners and losers. That is a valuable lesson because I think sometimes we forget that in life there are winners and losers. And, you know, not everybody gets a medal, although kids today when they're in eighth place do get medals. But you're planning, you're looking at who your opponent is, it's competition, like things that you experience in life every day come out of sports. So in that particular case, uh, I've always thought about that, like act like you've been here before or been there before. And then as I had my job at Sony and I was – traveling around the world and wasn't fluent in all these languages, uh, these countries I was, I was going to, um, I had to figure out a way to make myself comfortable around them and vice versa. And I thought about, like, how is that phrase, you know, act like you've been there before, how's that work? So rather than try to learn the language of the area, I tried to understand the culture and how to deal with people and make them feel comfortable in front of me I, they knew that I was respectful of who they were and vice versa. So, anyway, small life lesson of doing a stupid thing in the end zone was a life lesson. And that's what I think leadership is. And it's one of the things about leadership. But, uh, yeah, it stuck with me for a while. That's incredible. Um, there's two things that come to mind when I'm listening to you, and I am really listening to you. Which... That I'm no longer the... Movie star looking kind no, of No, you actually together. are, which is a little disgusting. <laughs> like I said, you know, handsome is forever. Um. And my friend Jeff Garland says, enjoy your handsome. 
That's right. But I never, I don't, I don't enjoy anything. It's you know. Oh, that's uh, that's not true, people. I'm kidding. That's not true. Well, the first thing that comes to mind um, is the Dalai Lama has a quote, and he says, "The key to life is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable." Because if you're comfortable with being uncomfortable, then you can go anywhere and do anything. Right. Right. So there you are, uh, globe trotting for Sony, uh, representing Sony and all these different cultures. I think you had to make your peace with being uncomfortable and doing it anyway. Right. Right. So it's important to have be purposeful in that and to make your mind up about that. Right. You know, so many people, uh, smart people particularly, their brain runs them, and the brain is only a 3.5-pound tool in your head. So it's a tool that we use. It's like the brain is a computer, and we're the electricity that runs the brain. Some people call that soul. Some people call that God. Some people call that spirit. Some call, people call that energy. Whatever you want to call that, that's who we really are. So, so much of my work in psychotherapy has to do with helping people detach from their thinking so they can select what's appropriate for any given moment. So repeat that Dalai Lama comment again. It's the key to life is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Because if you're comfortable no, with true. being uncomfortable, you can go anywhere that's and do not, anything. I think if you ask an athlete or anybody in business, that's that they work best when they're a little uncomfortable and they can deal with it. Which leads me to the second thought while you were speaking is that you said there's winners and there's losers. And I agree with you. However, so many people think that they're a winner or a loser. And it's not about them. It's not about the core of who they are. It's their behavior. We win. There's a lot of winners that lose mm -hmm. in life, right? We all lose the tennis match occasionally. Right. That doesn't mean we're losers. So if we can look at winning and losing as a behavior and not a, an indictment of our who we are. Right. Right? I agree with you. And, and how you accept losing is a very interesting thing because you're right. I mean – I've played some of the best things I've experienced in business or in life in general or in, in sports is when, you know, the score wasn't on my, the highest score wasn't on my side. But I feel like I accomplished a lot and learned for the next thing. So I think it's how you deal with what we call a loss and how it propels you into the next thing. I'll give you a terrible example, which um, I was terrible and I mean horrible, uh, about 20, when I, before I came out to Los Angeles, like public speaking or speaking in front of groups. And two things happened to me. One was I was speaking at an event in Philadelphia. And I don't know what happened, but my mind just started heating up. I started sweating. And I was trying to make a reference about, I forget, but I remember it, about talking about how people fail in business because they think they're in the wrong business. I made was trying to make reference to the fact that um, the reason the bus companies were no longer in existence because they felt like they were in the bus business, not the transportation business. Oh. And that's why these cheap airlines were killing them because they didn't see these airlines as competition because they're an airline. Well, the reality was all buses or planes are moving people from one point to another. So, yes, they were competition. My mind just couldn't process it, and it was in front of a whole group of people. I literally thought I was having a stroke. I went to the hospital, and I thought my I thought it was embarrassing as hell. Scary. It, scary as hell. Because I, I thought something was wrong. It never happened to me before. And then um, we were doing, uh, when I came to Sony, we were doing a practice session about presenting, pitching Ricky Lake to stations. Okay. And... Uh, same thing happened. 
And I couldn't understand it because it wasn't like I was nervous. Like something was activating in my system. We call that the amygdala hijack, and that's when that's you go it. into fight or flight yes. mode. Yeah. Right. So from that point forward, I was determined to be the very best at speaking in public and doing that right. So instead so, of saying I'm flawed, you said, oh, I've got to work on this. Right. I got to acknowledge the fact that something, I'm doing something that's not right. But then I bought a video camera. I tape myself giving presentations. I improve that. Uh, I just practice, practice, practice. So that's a great example of so many people in life. Um, look, it's reasonable, right? It's reasonable that you would be able to give speeches in front of right. thousands of people. In fact, you just did a commencement speech. Well, the irony of all this is over the years, whether it was giving investor uh, presentations or, or big meetings in front of a small group of people. So it's funny. So a couple of years ago, I gave this commencement at LMU. And that was actually a really big deal because I was on the board for a while and it's close to home and what have you. LMU is Loyola Marymount University right. in Los Angeles. And I was preparing. I thought, ah, oh, this would be great. You know, it's Jesuit college and very good friends with folks over there. And you're Catholic. And I'm Catholic. Um, my mom was up in heaven. Very happy you said that, Bill, by the way. So I get a call one day from somebody who goes, Hey, I just saw your picture on Lincoln Boulevard. I go, what? They go, yeah, like there's these banners and there's one of you, there's one of Bill Clinton and whatever. I go, Bill Clinton, I don't understand what's going on. Anyway, I call over to school. I go call to the president. I said, like, Tim, what, is there some banner on Lincoln? He goes, oh yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're giving, I was giving the graduate commencement and Clinton's there because he's giving the, undergraduate i go wait a minute let me get this right clinton's giving the undergraduate and i'm doing it the next day oh great so i think if i were 25 years ago i would have gone oh this is so bill Bill clinton was your opening act well uh, yeah so uh, right so so yeah so he was the warm-up act and i was uh, at sunday so but my thought wasn't like Oh, I'm going to look like an idiot next to Clinton. I said to myself, I want to give a better speech than Bill Clinton. Some people said I did, but because he gives canned speeches. But uh, he might be listening. Steve. He got paid, I think, too. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought I could not only do it, but deliver it in a way where people came up to me afterwards and say, you, you helped my kid. Okay, so and then the one, the one thing I will say about that is, and my mind also flipped as I was going through this process, from, okay, I just want to get through it, you know, where I don't start sweating or whatever to, no, no, no. I want this to be the best they've ever seen. That's a big difference. And I, the other thing I did, which was funny is. Wait, 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 wait. So slow that down because it's really interesting. So you went from, so the first statement you said, I want to get through this. It was about you. And First, then the second statement was about them. And that's the key. See, if you can get people to stop thinking, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? And then to how am I contributing? How right. am I helping them? Then the focus gets off of you and you don't have all those, what we call somatic responses right. like panic attacks. Anyway, when something doesn't go right, first thing I do, like, what could have gone better? What did I, what didn't I do right? Whatever. You go through this. 
analysis, say, okay, next time I'm going to do, do it that way and be better. In a win, sometimes you're so busy patting yourself on the back, and then next thing you know, the person who lost last time is more ready than you are. When you lose, don't lose the lesson, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest reframes for, for my clients that I'm, I'm pretty much daily saying is, you know, humans learn by losing. If we don't make mistakes, we don't correct the mistakes, and we do, it's, it's our path. We have to. We have to lose. We have to fall and scuff our knees, and we have to get up, and we have to learn from that so we don't do it the next time. Um, the key is not to keep repeating it, which uh, Freud called repetition compulsion. Um, so the key is to finally master the skills, and we do that by making mistakes and then tweaking it a bit. And so what is repetition compulsion? Repetition compulsion, uh, Freud said we're destined to repeat a stage until we complete it. So have you ever been in a relationship that's not working, and you try this, and it's still not working, and you uh, everything, and, and you finally get so sick to death that you break up with her or him, right? That's finally you've completed the stage because you've you've made the mistake a number of times, you know, uh, what do they say about insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result, right? So if you do the same thing over and over, finally you're going to get fed up of, uh, uh, you know, of going around on the merry-go-round and finally you're going to get off the merry-go-round. And that's growth. So the whole concept of repetition compulsion is simply you got to make a mistake several times and then you finally go, oh, knucklehead, no, no, no. But it's not I'm a knucklehead because I'm unworthy and there's something wrong with me. I'm a knucklehead because I made a behavioral mistake. Right. So once we can again, detach and say, okay, my behavior might not be correct. That doesn't mean I'm not correct. See, right. and then that gives us the freedom to learn and grow and move on. Right. And evolve. Isn't right. that the point? I think that is the point. There it is. So. So evolving. So one thing I'm hearing that you did really well is you listened. And I, I'm a witness to that because that was one of the biggest things that impressed me about you is that you actually, I don't know if you remember this, but I, um, so, okay, so I'm at Sony. I work my way up. Uh, I work for John Weiser, who's going to be a guest on our show. Um, and then I end up working for you. And uh, Don't make it seem so bad. <laughs> so I would hear this, hey, Bill, come in here. And I go, uh, yes, sir. I used to call you sir a lot. And why did I do that? Well, partly banner and kind of being funny. But secondly, it was my way of showing you respect because you were so respectful of me. I wanted to give it back to you in some small way. So, but I remember I would come in the office and you'd say, sometimes you'd say, oh yeah, you missed a loop in your belt or, you know, it's like, <laughs> or something like that. Or sometimes you ask me uh, about a show or, or what was my point of view on this? And I thought, wow, you know, you're going to value my opinion and I'm your assistant, right? And the other thing that I learned about that is assistants are gatekeepers. So if somebody didn't treat me well because they thought of me as the assistant, um, I didn't put them through to you. And so I really grew to understand that, hey, everyone has value and everyone has a place and a role and it's teamwork that really counts. You know, uh, I think running a business is like looking at a chain. Uh, every link, if you, have, you can have the st strongest metal, the longest chain. One link comes off, chain's useless. And um, It's a great analogy. I don't know. I mean, I, look, I, I think... Uh, my best focus groups sometimes on programs were my family back east who don't live here, you know, and uh, I'd say, hey, what do you think? We're doing this um, show about a heart surgeon who wants to do a talk show about health, uh, about well-being and life. Like, well, if it, unless it's Dr. Oz, we're not interested. I go, oh, it is Dr. Oz. Go, we love that idea. 
Right. Where where people out here were like, I got a heart surgeon? Like, so I always found, like, as like, people come to flyover states, I, I think you need to get outside your comfort zone a little bit and go to real people. Well, get curious Be about cur- people's I mean, opinions. Way, uh, you've just nailed the word. I think the key to life is being curious about a lot of things. Um, everything. And just ask questions. You know, I don't think any of us have all the answers to life. And unless you're open to hearing how other people think and what people do and how people live and what you got to be able to listen to all that and want to hear it because it just makes you better. But, uh, look, I was very lucky. My, uh, my parents raised me in a way where they were just, they treated people great. That's all I ever saw. You know what I find fascinating? I'm always curious what motivates people. And I've traveled all over the country. I've been every state except south of North Dakota, which I should probably go there someday. I've been all over the world. And, you know, in the entertainment business, when people give $5 to a charity, they want their name on a ad or to be thanked or recognized, which is fine, by the way. I mean, I, you know, that's the way the world works. I always wonder, when I see people running small restaurants or working jobs that, that really don't get a lot of any publicity, and you see people who are leading and doing things and care they care about their employees. They care about being great at what they do. They care about doing their job right and a little bit better. You know, look at volunteers that don't get paid to do certain things. And you're like, what motivates them? Because no one, like, no one will know what they just did. As we look at what we're doing with this podcast, it's really about finding people who are extraordinary leaders and motivate people. Uh, that people line up behind and want to be part of what they're doing. And they're not looking for any credit. Any credit. It just makes them feel good and makes people they're with feel good. That's extraordinary. Because the credit comes from contributing. Right. Right. And again, I think what we're going to do, I, I think hopefully we go down this path. This isn't about politics. It's not about taking sides. There's no right or wrong. I think in a way it's just figuring out a way of highlighting what's good about the world, what's good about people. Because, again, there's so many good things going on out there that I think we're all missing these days uh, That where you don't have to take a side. Right. This podcast will not be about politics. Uh, it's just about celebrating achievements and leadership and good deeds. Camaraderie uh, and contribution. Camaraderie, the two C's. The two C's, camaraderie and contribution. I'm excited about it. I, was I, going, I actually, when I came in here, I, I thought to myself, Bill, like, what are we getting ourselves into? But I, I think... Uh, we always get ourselves into something, Steve. I think it should be noted that this this journey was started by we were looking to write a book. Mm-hmm. And we're chipping away at and that. And we're chipping away at that. But uh, there's some immediacy to this. We'll find some more stories to really kind of help tell the story we're trying to tell. And through the repetition compulsion of all of these series of podcasts that we're doing, perhaps we'll learn something and grow out of this experience. I'm now thinking to myself because I am a creature of habit. In fact, I wake up every day at the same time. I stop at the same mobile gas station, get my first cup of coffee every day at the same time. To the point where if I'm not there, the person who works the overnight shift is concerned for my well-being. Um, but there's something that makes me feel comfortable in having some part of my day 
that's repeatable every day. I'm going to challenge you to modify your behaviors and, and push into your discomfort. As long as we can do it on a regular basis at a certain time, I'll be fine. Uh, excellent. Okay. <laughs> well, so I think... Bill, did you just pass out? I, <laughs> I, I forgot to breathe. I hate that. I get on a topic and my brain takes over and then I forget to breathe. And then all of a sudden I'm done. Bill, yes. I wish I was there. because <laughs> I wish you were here too. I think, look, we see a lot of people in our world that are unsung leaders. But uh, like I said, we want to open this up and make sure like there are people throughout the country and the world that are just, that don't seek attention, do the right, want to do the right thing. And uh, yeah, we'd love to highlight them. And, and there's no situation, um, there's no situation too small. I mean, if someone's doing something that helps move people in a positive way, then we're, we would love to hear about it. Absolutely. Is Shannon Perry, Shannon Hughes Perry, uh, passing along? Uh, she is, yeah, uh, just, so, just a little bit. Shannon is in studio with us as well as Josh. Josh is our producer and uh, sound engineer. And uh, we are all three here, uh, and there's only one piece missing, but you're here via, it sounds like outer space, but actually you're just uh, pulled off the 405 somewhere. Bill, I have uh, approximately uh, six minutes. What else do we need to do? Okay. Uh, I think we're good. I, I, I just got the thumbs up from, uh, from Josh, so I think we're good. Bill, again, the tears are streaming down my face on this. And, you know, if I could teletransport the tissues because they're in my hand. Well, I will say this. I, again, um, I have been so inspired by these people we've talked to, and we know they're... And a lot of the people are people we're aware of, we know about. But um, I'd love to hear more from people about um, their unsung leaders. And like I said, no, no effort too small. Uh, we're here to support and highlight and celebrate uh, leadership. So there you go, Bill. There we have it. All right, Steve, go have a good day. Thanks for listening to Unsung Leaders. This podcast both showcases and is made possible through the talents of many people. And on that note, we'd like to know about the unsung leaders in your life. Those people that have pulled together to create something that has positively impacted you or made a difference in your community. Our mission is to provide the inspirational stories of society's team players. So please nominate the team players in your life to potentially become guests on our show. By logging on to www.unsungleaders.com, you may be giving us all the opportunity to hear their stories and learn from their contributions. And speaking of contribution, we'd like to sing the praises of the Unsung Leaders team. Da-da-da-da! Our producer and sound engineer, Josh Fisher. Production facilities provided by Embassy Row. With a special shout-out to Shannon Hawes Perry, who oversees our experience here and makes it very easy for all of us teaming up to make a difference.